Thank you, Ben, for making that move. Um, before I, well, I'm going to do this anyway. Ah. I asked all of you to do an assignment last week, and when a pastor does certain things and sets himself up for failure, he also prepares for success. So here's, here's what I have on my notes. Ready for this? Did anybody see what this says? I'm going to put this to somebody. Sam knows my handwriting. So what I said last week after I taught on divorce on my anniversary, remember that? No, I was all right that night. We were good. (laughs) Um, I did say, though, if there was any questions that had to do with the topic we kind of covered, um, and there was not an understanding, you were free to ask questions. And when I say things like that, sometimes... um, you can you can get yourself in trouble. So, is there any questions that come off of that? Otherwise, you all have a great understanding. There's never going to be uh, any issues, right? We'll be fine. Uh, if not, we can move on because I am prepared to move on. So we're good. So go to Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-seven. While I'm trying to get this set up. We're going, to be, we're going to be going through 33 through 37, and we will not get through it this morning. Uh, I'm trying to take it a little softer when the kids are here so they can get something out of it. And I think we need to regroup a little bit because last week was intense. And I'll be honest with you, 32, that's, wow, that's, that's, okay, that should not say that. Oh, yeah, wait a second. Oh. <sighs> How was your week? My week was great. (laughs) Uh, There we go. That makes more sense. Okay. Um, So what we need to do is regroup just a little bit. Um, A constant reminder, I think teaching is a tool that's kind of missed from the church today. And part of the thing of teaching is, is good repetition. And here's what good repetition usually says. I'm going to say something again that I've already said before. Hopefully, I'm going to say it a different way, you know, so it doesn't get get to be annoying. But I'm going to read, and I think we should read, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. And I don't think this sounds like coming off of the issue we did last week about adultery and divorce, which seems so uh, huge an issue, uh, which it is. And then we go to the next issue, and he said, Verse 33 again, and you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. It sounds kind of like, okay, we were on this really hard place to be to something that's really kind of sounds simplistic. The problem is, and I think sometimes we, we don't recognize certain things, the easy things we just let slide and we don't care. You know what I'm saying? And the big things we say, oh, this is so important, I've got to be very careful about this. But the little things, we just let go. And I think this is not the little thing that it is. It's a major problem. And I don't know about you all, I can't stand someone that doesn't keep their word. That's a personal pet peeve with me. Is it, am I the only one in the room that feels that way? Okay, good. So at least I have two people awake. There we go. Here, here's what happened to me. Five months ago, I made an ad- appointment with a contractor to do some work on my house. Five months ago. 
gave the bid, I accepted it, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And I said, well, it's not that important what I have to have done. It's not a major thing to have done, but I waited. And I called him. Then I called him. He says, listen, it's rain, and it's this and that. And he said, but I got you on my list. And finally, he came out and did it. Did a great, great job. Great price. I was excited. But now I have another issue that's happened for something he's fixed. He needs to replace something he's fixed. I've called him for four straight weeks now. And last week he called me. No, the beginning of last, the week before. He said, I'll be there sometime next week. Which was last week. He still has not shown. And I just, it drives me crazy that people can't keep their word and just call me up and say, something came up, something happened. L- at least no, I know you were alive. Okay? But this is bigger than that. Because this is a huge problem in Israel about people keeping their word and how they make vows, promises, and oaths. So he goes on in verse 34, But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, or for, uh, or for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. That's funny, we just read that this morning, right? Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great, uh, the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, and or no, no, anything else or anything beyond this is of of evil or of the evil one. So it's basically giving you a paradigm on how to make oaths. So I'm going to give you some preliminary uh, understanding, and if the kids are taking notes, they could just write the word oaths. O T, O T. <laughs> the kids can write notes. They can write this O A T H S. Oaths. That's it. Um, and then give the, there's your Bible verses, okay? I'm trying to help them. By the way, I'm Pastor Eric, kids on your notes. <laughs> what was it? Uh, Grant said to me the other day, hey, Pastor Eric, and I looked at him and go, what? <laughs> That's exciting, he's talking to me. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not, hey, you, mister, get out of the way. Um, so what I want to do is kind of regroup for a few minutes um, I don't know how far we'll get in this. Uh, when I first started it, I said, oh, it will be five pages, notes, I'm done, because this is simple, right? It's not as simple as you think, because I spent three hours reading the Mishnah. It was engrossing reading, and it's hard to understand, because it's, you did all, and I'll explain to you in a minute how it all ties together. But here, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to look at some points that we need to, really? Technology. Matthew is about the kingdom of heaven, God, offered to Israel. Israel rejected it. Israel rejected this kingdom. And what happens to the kingdom program in light of the rejection? I just gave you a whole outline of it, Matthew. That's the book of Matthew. Anything outside of that, you're going to have issues trying to make Matthew fit into the church age. It's not meant for the church age. You can see the paradigm it's in is for the nation of Israel from the time the Messiah comes as their king to the time of his crucifixion and his resurrection and dip and it's over. Okay? Um, I said this to somebody the other day, and, I'm, and I think it's kind of interesting because do you realize there's not a church Jesus ever stepped into? <laughs> you haven't heard the second part. Don't laugh yet. There's also a lot of churches Jesus has never been in today. Okay? So we got to keep that understanding going because sometimes we want to think Jesus was in a church and it had beautiful stained glass and every time he walked in, everybody's in awe over this 
Jesus. And that's not what happened. He came under the umbrella of a nation of Israel and only spent time within that nation. And a couple times he had uh, discourse with people that were not Jewish. That was it. Secondly, Gentiles, uh, Gentile kingdoms rule the world uh, right now, today. We're in the times of the Gentiles. So this is a period... Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. Kingdom, Israel's kingdom was covenanted by God himself. There is, listen, I, I know that's red. I don't know how it shows up sometimes. On here it's screaming red. Here it's just like red. Okay? I don't know how to make it redder than that red. There is no covenant in effect for the church. We are not a covenanted people. I know there's been churches that have been called New Covenant Baptist Church. Or new covenant something. And somebody will always say, we're under the new covenant today. No, we're not. No, we're not. I've read that thing. And that, the terms of that covenant are, are just not about us. And if you took the terms of my covenant for my house, my contract with my house, and made it your house, you'd have of issues in it because your name's not on it. So don't read something that's to you that's not to you. Kind of get what I'm saying? And I think we need to keep that in mind as we do that. The individual, thirdly, the individual needs faith in Christ to be justified before God and credited with righteousness to enter the kingdom. However, but in Matthew, we're dealing with a nation, not individuals. Even though there's interaction with individuals, he's still talking to a nation. That has to, um, let's just read it, I, for the kingdom to come, there needs to be a generation of obedience to God and his word, belief in Messiah, and blessing via, obedi- uh, via obedience. These things have to be in play. The nation of Israel has to have a generation that is not called what I think later Jesus calls them an adulterous generation who looks for a sign. He needs a generation of nation of Israel that, that wants to be blessed by him, wants to do what Deuteronomy 28 through 30 is dealing with, and also accepts him as their Messiah. How was Israel doing in the time of Matthew accepting Jesus as their Messiah? Not very good. Even though everyone that followed Jesus was pretty much Jewish, there wasn't a huge gathering at the cross. We just talked about the cross and communion. There wasn't anybody attentive there. There was the, the attendance was really low, you know, and I think we have to uh, understand that. Fourthly, in Matthew, the kingdom is at hand, at hand. Fruit of repentance, change of mind, belief in Messiah, and obedience to His word was needed. We're looking fruit worthy of repentance. The Pharisees and scribes did not have that fruit. They were not repentant. They were antagonistic to Jesus ad nauseum. And that's what I want you to get in this book. Today we are in a, in a regnum. Uh, that's a fancy word. That's this, Kids, this is not for your vocabulary today unless you want to write it down. Then, then an, what, an eight-year-old will have a great word. Can one run around all day. Uh, basically, it's a pause button between governments. We're in a pause button between governments. The government of Israel was to be ruled by a king, and the king of kings is coming back one day. The pause button will be put on play. Okay? But that pause button involves Israel's economy. Israel's dispensation, if you want another word. We're not in Israel's dispensation. It's been a pause button on that. 
We're not in the nation of Israel and things that are, that are involved in that national understanding. We can't apply to this time frame and we can't apply the church to Israel's economy. You got what I'm saying? Somebody once asked me, how many, how many dispensations do I believe in? Well, maybe four sometimes if you want to do that. Before Israel, Israel, pause button, church, and Israel, and then there'll be what? After Israel, right? I mean, I'm trying to be simplistic, but I want you to understand the majority of the Word of God has to do with the nation that God has working His program through. What are we supposed to do today? Well, so I wrote it in here. God is working through the body of Christ. His church is to bring the gospel to the world, the good news. We're, we're, I don't know if you know that. We're having church this morning. You know what church is for? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So you're all in the ministry. You're all hired. You're all on, on board. And you're all what? On the time clock. Right? This is what it says to the Pharisees. And I want us to understand the paradigm we're in because this is directly, this section we're dealing with today on oaths is directly involving the Pharisees. The Pharisees had an external righteousness. God desires a heart of righteousness. Internal. Anybody could look good outside. And the Pharisees were really good at being good outside. It says in Mark 7, 21 and 23, a parallel in Matthew also, but it says this in Mark for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, and adulteries. Well, that sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. It comes from within. So what Jesus is dealing with is the true person. Who is the person? Not the externals. So we're going to deal with thou shalt not make false oaths. Um, I'm going to give you a picture of the Mishnah since I was reading it. Um, well, let, let me give you some... Let's go back because I know all of you started reading. Stop. Um, that's the problem with doing PowerPoint. So how much are people going to say, oh, I'm going to read that. No, 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 no. Not listen to him. Um, think of the things you said as a kid. And I, I know... A lot of kids. I, I was one. I'm no longer allowed to be a kid. Um, but kids will say things like, I swear to God. Think of the things that go behind, behind that. Do you, do you believe in the truth in advertising? Do you believe certain things about advertising? I mean, you'll be hit ad nauseum if you watch enough TV with advertising. Do you believe in the truth in advertising? Do you believe everything on the Internet is truthful? My mother-in-law called me the other day and says, you've got to see what the brooms will do. We're in a certain time in the solar system with gravity. Brooms will stand up. So I, I think either Liz or I called Shane and Barry and we were scared. Had two brooms standing up in the kitchen and said, see, we can do that too. It's, and, I, and I said, and I, I was giggling the whole time. And I finally told my wife, you know, you could do that anytime. A broom is a tripod. She goes, what? I go, broom is a tripod. That has nothing to do with gravitational pull or anything. You can go out there today and make a broom stand by itself because when you do the bristles right, it's a tripod. Tripods can't do what? Fall over. Unless you make one leg really ridiculously short. But the point is, everybody was saying it had to do with something circumstantial to the atmosphere and the gravitational pull and all that. What? 
What? But see, everybody believed that. Um, when we think about this and, and, and grasp this, the Sermon on the Mount is, is addressing basically a righteousness necessary for the kingdom that the Pharisees didn't have. And he says again in verse 20 that your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. But I think as we look around and understand what's going on in Jesus' time, there's a huge problem with integrity. A huge problem with integrity. Uh, especially, think of Matthew himself. He was working for the Roman government. He was a tax gatherer. Do you realize what tax gatherers did? They weren't IRS. IRS has got a lot of issues. I know that. Many of you may have a problem because April 15th, oh, it's getting close, uh, is coming. And you, some of you may be fearful of IRS doing whatever uh, and maybe even auditing you, whatever. But the point is, Matthew would take taxation from the people exorbitantly for the Roman government and even more for himself. So it was like, you know, two for them, one for me, two for them, one for me. And made sure that you paid your taxes, otherwise you were held accountable. So uh, nobody, nobody was really trustworthy. And I'm going to say something again as believers. Just because you hire somebody that's got the fish on the back of his truck, be careful who you hire. Trust is, listen, and I'm going to say this as nice as I can. Trust isn't given, trust is earned. Do we understand that? And trust comes from a, a lengthy time of somebody having integrity and being a person of their word. And God wants believers to be people of their word. I don't know how many, and I probably go, how many in this room have been disappointed by a fellow believer in doing some kind of transaction? And we could all go, right? Or am I the only one in the room? You know, oh, he's a believer. I expected something better from him. He charged me more than he was supposed to. And then the opposite end, we as believers think somebody's supposed to work for free because they're a believer and should do things for free. I don't know how many people talk to me about things in the church since I've been here and say, we'll do that work, but we can't do it for free. I never said that. I never said, hey, can you do this for free? I do say it to certain people about certain things, but... That's not what I'm doing when I'm getting quotes. I called you for a quote. Did I say do it for free? Kind of idea. However, there's a, there's a book published in the 2nd century B.C. called the Mishnah. Mishnah was basically t taking oral law of Judaism and putting it in written form. Taking the oral law, putting it in written, written form. And what we have is mostly... Uh, so you get well. Let's kind of talk about the book. The book itself is in six orders. The word order in Hebrew is seder. Anybody ever gone to a pa Passover seder? And everybody says, "Oh, seder is the Passover what meal? We're, at, we're eating." So most people think seder equals meal. Uh, no, seder equals long time spent before you eat. <laughs> because what happens is there's an order to what you're going to do. So when you look at the Mishnah, it's broken up into six sederim, basically six separate orders. Okay, uh, Most of them have seven to twelve tractates, in other words, chapters we'd look at, and the chapters are broken up in verses. Uh, and if you were to look at one of those, you'd have 63 total tractates. The book is about this thick. It's really good to prop a door open on a windy day. Um, but it is part of their oral laws. And I think, you know, we have to read that. There's two sections in the, the Mishnah that have to do in their, in their 
Seder, in other words, there's two different ones that have to do with vows. One has to do with women and vows. I didn't write it. And then other ones have to do with damages, damages that occur because someone doesn't keep their oaths. So that section is called oaths. There's two parts, basically. In, in the uh, first, first one that has to do with women under Nadarene, it says, I don't know if I have this one up here. It says, Jerusalem for Jerusalem, by Jerusalem, the temple for the temple, by the temple, firmly uphold the vow. They were swearing on the temple, Jerusalem itself. That's directly what this is about in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read these that are up here, because I know some of you are struggling to read it. But this comes out of the Mishnah, copied and pasted. And you would say some of it's confusing. It is confusing. Um, If a man vowed to have no benefit from the black-haired, he is forbidden to have benefit from the bald and the gray-haired, but not from the women and children, since the only the men are called the black-haired. You say and say that louder. What? What? Okay, under their rules, when you made an obligation to somebody, your obligation was good for only the persons you were making it to. You had to look. These are called loopholes. Okay, if a guy was bald, some of you guys, you're Safe. You don't, I don't, if I came up to you, my original hair, I think at some point was blackish brown, and if I went up to Jack and made a, an oath, I didn't have to keep it, because he's not of the same follicle count. So what kind of loophole is that? Well, it works. But that doesn't say that your yes be yes and your no, no. Okay? Next one, the vow is distinct from an oath. And that a vow forbids a certain thing to be used, let such and such the thing be uh, forbidden to me or, or to you. While an oath forbids the swear to do a certain thing, although it is not a thing forbidden itself, I swear that I will not eat such and such a thing. In other words, I make an oath, I'm never going to eat donuts again. And nobody would care, right? Vows are of two kinds. Vows of dedication which render a thing forbidden... Is a donut forbidden? Should be, but I didn't see anywhere it's forbidden. Which render a thing forbidden in the future for common use, and vows of abstination, which render thing, uh, forbidden things or acts uh, ordinarily permissible. So it's just basically, this is what we'd call, what kind of law? Anybody know what kind of law this is? Huh? This is basic, what we would call basic laws that you would live by, which are added to this. Okay, and the only ones that were keeper, this is the rabbis, the rabbinics, kept these laws. And how would you know this was a law unless you what? Looked it up. Now, I know this is a lot of stuff, but I just wanted you to see certain words in here. If he said, may, may what I eat be thine, but be not hulling, nor, nor not valid as food, not clean, not un- clean unclean, remnant, refuse. Refu- basically, it's giving you all the different paradigms, but here's what I wanted to go to. Of the altar, though, do not utter korban. Korban basically means um, it's safe from what I'm doing. I've, I've put a, I separated it out. I covered it out. Okay? So if I said I've taken money in my uh, stock portfolio and I set it aside for a certain purpose and God forbid one of my kids need it, it's okay not to give it because it's set aside for something. Do you understand? This doesn't matter as much as this I set it aside for something. Okay? Um, if it may be said Jerusalem. In other words, if you said Jerusalem on anything, it's like a, a carte blanche thing saying it's okay. It's on, you, you must be trustworthy. You're blessing through Jerusalem. So I want you to see those things. 
So what did the Pharisees do to law? They added to it. That's all this is. If you read the Mishnah, let me ask you something. Let's just talk student and teacher kind of conversation. What is work? Now, if I ask you that question, that's a hard one to define, right? Because some of you think work is changing the channels on TV. Because you know that the scientific answer for work is burning calories. Is it like that? Yeah, it's still like that, right? They say, hey, I'm working. Okay, so that's your definition of work, right? Some of you think, I go to work at 8, come home at 5, or get off at 5, I work 8 to 5, I get a, a punch a time clock, I work. That's fine. You're with me so far. Defining work is important because if on the seventh day you're not supposed to work, can you do this? Can you punch a time clock? What can you do? So the Pharisees in the Mishnah have a whole set of rules for just what is work. Because you've got to define it. You've got to nail it down. So even Jesus says, well, if I have to rescue an animal on a Sabbath, isn't that okay? And they said, sure, because the Mishnah says you can rescue your animal on the Sabbath. It's not work. It's a necessity. So if I heal on the Sabbath, is there a problem? Yes. Because the Mishnah didn't say you should heal. You understand the problems going on. Making up the rules. So here's a really good rule for you to keep. Since Since I'm playing baseball, I know what kids do. Kids like to spit. Sunflower seeds everywhere. Okay? So if I was making up a Mishnah-type rule, I say it's okay to spit sunflower seeds on Saturday as long as it doesn't hit the baseball field and part the dirt. Because if you part the dirt, you're actually plowing with the seed. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's You go, that's crazy. Plowing is work, isn't it? Spitting is eh, not work unless it... So they had rules like that. And don't kid you, that's what they said. Spitting is plowing if it hits dirt. So turn your head. I wish I could make up these things. They sound really good just to make them up. But this is what really involved in this. In order, listen, in order to understand this, this is pretty hard, isn't this? Following God's rules is pretty hard. And if you got man's rules on top of this, that, what, you, you said it right on? What? What did that say? You have to have somebody to interpret what it says, and it's really good to call your local rabbi and say, what does that say? And he will tell you what it says from his standpoint. Then I'll go to my local rabbi, and he'll tell me from his standpoint, may have two different standpoints now, or 50 different standpoints. Because rule of law like this is only good as the interpreter. You get what I'm saying? So let's make it as vague and as important as possible, but not really be solid with what we're saying. Just so we can uphold another law that people couldn't keep. You with me? So here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 4. Jesus spoke to the crowds to, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. The chair of Moses was the biblical authority. Moses is the greatest biblical authority to the Jewish people in the Bible. Because he wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And if you put yourself in the, in the chair of Moses, you become poped. You become, I mean, that's a, if you want to kind of get it on understanding, you've made yourself Pope. You've, you've gotten the authority, and what you say is what? Biblical. Okay? Therefore, all they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. In other words, if they say certain things, you're supposed to respect your authority. That's what it comes down to. It's not that they were biblically right, but just do it. Because why? 
There's a responsibility level. But if you notice how they how he puts it, he goes, but don't do what they do. Because they're not even obeying their own set of, set of standards. Because they tie heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them so much as a finger. In other words, you can carry my load, but I'm not carrying anything. Kind of get what's going on? So when somebody says, and I'll put this up here because I think this is important, I swear to God, or I swear God is my witness, can you do that? And I'm going to show you, you can. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you remain Pauline in your understanding. Because Paul says this in Romans 1.9, For God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son is my witness is my witness as to how unceasingly I made mention of you. So Paul's saying, in my prayer life, I've prayed for you. God's my witness. Well, let me ask you something. In your prayer life, who's your witness? You know, if you say something to somebody, I prayed for you, are you a person of your word or is God your witness? See, if God's your witness and you didn't pray, don't, don't say you prayed. If you say, well, I may pray for you, that's better. Some people say, I'll pray for you. Don't say that. I th- I'm going to show you something better to say. Don't say, I'll pray for you unless you're willing to do it what? Right then and there. Because you're going to walk out a door and you're going to say, I don't pray. Who am I supposed to pray for? Say, I will try to remember to pray for you. Get a piece of paper out and write it down. But we want to be keepers of the word. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1.23, But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. That means basically your safety was involved with what I was going to say to you, wonderful church, and deal with certain things, but I didn't come. God's my witness as to why. Galatians 1.20 says, Now in, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. So Paul is saying, I'm telling the truth because God is my witness. Okay? How do we know he's telling the truth? Well, we have Scripture, and tr- Scripture is the truth, right? Um, and I think that's important because when we say God is a witness, let me ask you something. Is God not a witness to everything? I was told by a guy when I was younger. Wonderful guy. Knew him a- he was a really neat guy, and he'd always say, you know, want to be a better driver? Pretend like Jesus is in the back seat. I said, well, I can't do that because I'm not a good driver. <laughs> so I want people out of my way sometimes. But, I mean, that's hard to remember that you're driving, driving Jesus. I don't know if that would be a good sticker, but, uh, but God is with you. God is a witness to what you're doing. And why wouldn't you want to do the godly thing. And that's what's being said here. So first part we're going to deal with in verse 33 is what about these oaths? What is said? What is what is Jesus dealing with in these oaths? Okay? So we're basically going to look at two, three verses and get you an Old Testament understanding of oaths. This isn't all of it. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament about oaths and understanding that. But in Leviticus 19.12 it says, You shall not swear falsely by my name, in other words, use God's, God as my witness, or I swear to God, and know you're doing it falsely, so as not, so as to pervade the name of the Lord, I am the Lord your God. This is the idea of taking the Lord's name and misusing it, using it in vain. Got that, Sam? Because I know you're teaching a class next week. You need to tell those kids how to use God's name appropriately. Okay? 
Secondly, Numbers 30, verse 2, if, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In other words, be a, be a person of your word. What do we call that? A person of integrity. Deuteronomy 21-23 says this, When you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For it would be a sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin to you. In other words, be careful what you swear about. Be careful what you take an oath on. If you can't keep it, don't. Ever had somebody say to you, I want to borrow a piece of gum? That's the craziest statement I've ever heard. What do you mean by borrow? You're going to give me that back? Or are you going to give me a pack back later? I mean, what are you doing? Let's discuss the terms of this contract. Because if you want to borrow, if you want to have it, here, have a piece of gum. Have it. But if you want to borrow it, let's talk about negotiating the terms. Okay? Um, but that's what people do sometimes when they borrow money and borrow things from you. Um, I was told, I think, I think he's in this, Eric told me once, he says, when people borrow things, take a picture of them. Have them hold up your saw. <laughs> That way, when you get old like me and say, man, who has my saw? And you say, I don't know who has. And you send an email out to all your kids, and they say, like, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. You got a picture. Because why? People will borrow things and do what? Not give them back. I think it was Tim Allen in one of the home improvement episodes where he went in the neighbor's yard and and garage and found all his stuff. Right? Make a good comedy routine. Verse 23 says, You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. There's a movement years ago, right, called Promise Keepers. Because why? People don't keep their promises, so they thought they'd start Promise Keepers and make guys Promise Keepers. But what we have to do is be people of integrity to start with. And that comes from inside. And I think that's an important thing to look at. So, well... Before I do that, um, let me give you the two schools of thought at this time again, because we, we looked at it a little bit last week, the two rabbinic schools, Shammai and Hillel. Those are the two big main rabbis of the time of Jesus. Uh, uh, and these two schools, Hillel and, and Shammai were around, and Shammai said, do not, uh, did not want to say anything if it bent the truth. So he says, don't say anything if you bend the truth. You know, there's always that old statement, there's your truth, my truth, and the real truth. Um, and, and they basically said, stay away from anything that bends the truth. And most of us constantly bend the truth, don't we? How many of you ever went up to somebody in a grocery store with a newborn baby and said, oh, what a cute baby? Nobody's ever said that? We're bending the truth, you know that, right? <laughs> we really are. We're just saying things like, there's a cute baby. Um, you know, because 20 years from now, it may grow up to be hideous monster. We don't know what it's going to look like. Um, but we say things like, how about a, it's a beautiful, you're a beautiful bride. Well, we like to say nice things. And we may be, I know some, some point we're going to be. Uh, but here's the problem. When you teach extremes in truth, in truth telling, when you teach extremes, how do you keep extremes? How do you tell the truth all the time and nothing but the truth? How about today's paradigm? We have to be politically correct in everything. I got chastised the other day 
Because we have middle school baseball that, that we also deal with at school. So we have middle school come out, and you're doing high school and middle school. High school, middle school. So I said, what time? I said to the coach, what time do midgets come out? Oh, gosh, I got jumped all over for saying midgets. And I was being flippant, you know. And he says, you can't say midget. That's not right. What if they are? I go, but they're not. They're just little kids. <laughs> I said, I'll never call them that again. So when they came out, I started calling them Mr. and Sir. I can, be, I can be chastised. But the point is, even in today's atmosphere, we're so politically correct, we're walking eggshells when we say things. Right? So let me give you two principles of that day so we can grasp um, what's going on here and get an understanding. It says, you shall not make any false vow or promise to the Lord. Don't make a false one. You're doing it to the Lord. Why would you say something to the Lord the Lord knows you can't fulfill? Secondly, you shall always fulfill any vow or promise you make to the Lord. That's just as easy as that. You make it to the Lord, it's between you and God. Consequences are going to be pretty nasty, right? You were not a keeper of your word. Not trustworthy. You know, Exodus 20 says this. Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. Not the Ten Suggestions. I think I've said that, I don't know how many times. It says this, you shall not take the name of your Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave I am unpunished who takes the name of the Lord, takes his, uh, takes his name in vain. Think about that for a minute. Think what the Lord wants, again, for a righteous lifestyle. Sometimes we say things because we just talk too much. And we say things and make promises we can't keep. Now, I understand somebody's going to walk up to me, well, what if I promise to do something next week and I have all the intentions to do it next week, but it rains, the person cancels, um, I die. Yeah, I can't keep that a scheduled appointment. Well, of course not. But what's your original reason for making that vow? Do you understand? You have every intention to keep it. To avoid uh, the Pharisees would take oath in the name of other things. So to avoid, the, the, to avoid these two principles, the Pharisees took oaths that were on other things, therefore they weren't, to them it wasn't really binding. They were loopholes. So I swear on my head, I swear on my mother's what? Anybody ever do that one? Grave. I couldn't do that, and I wouldn't do that, but not, not as long as she's in the room, I'm not going to ever say that. <laughs> But I mean, people have said things like that. I swear to, and they, they come up with these obscure things they're swearing on. I swear in a stack of Bibles, not one, but a stack of Bibles. I don't know what constitutes a stack, but they swear on a stack of Bibles. So the Pharisees would, would, to avoid being called a liar, they would swear on heaven and earth, Jerusalem, the temple, and that was, basically, they, to them, that was a loophole. Vows should be considered sacred, whether they're lifetime vows, such as a marriage covenant, and that's what we just got done with in the previous verses. You make a covenant, contract, and listen, it's not dealing, that's why I was waiting for some questions. You all failed me, but that's all right. I'll be fine. I expected it, um, but don't take that wrong. But um, when we look at marriage, we're dealing with two people. Things happen. But the ideal, God's ideal, was two people married forever. You know, first thing, uh, I, when I counsel kids that are getting married, um, 
I tell them the word divorce should never be mentioned in your life because it's not an option. The option is how can we work through this without killing each other? You know, in the church, just so you, I'm going to chase a rabbit for a second. In the church, divorce is the most horrible thing that can happen. But murder is okay. So if you kill her, you're good. If you divorce her, you're scathed forever. That was called me thinking out loud. Don't, don't do anything with that, but you need to. Um, but, it, but it's interesting. We look at the marriage contract today. We look at the marriage contract today as a temporary situation. We say it's, it, I actually heard a married couple that was getting married. Not, I, I wasn't in my, somebody told me this. That they said, we're getting married for now. If it doesn't work out, we'll get divorced. What? Because that's the thinking. It's easy. We can get out of this. You know, and we even keep his stuff, his stuff, my stuff, my stuff, and boom, it's easier when we go our separate ways. Really? But see, they don't understand God's paradigm is that's, that's permanent. There's also just something called the Nazarite vow that may or may not be permanent. You may take it for a time or, or not. Samson had it for a lifetime, and Samson uh, failed to keep his vow, and he paid for it dearly. Uh, and I would say this, the best way to look at it in our paradigm is don't make a statement and keep your fingers crossed behind your back. Remember that? What you doing behind your back? I pinky swear. I pinky swear. Remember those? What is that? I don't even kid that the pinky swear. <laughs> Go to, uh, I want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verses 4 and 5. This is kind of interesting. This comes from the preacher on how to live life. The preacher is known as Solomon. Solomon, had, Solomon was supposed to have skillful life, but wasn't always that skillful. Okay, sometimes it. But he says, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for it takes he for he takes no delight in fools. That means if you don't pay your uh, what you vowed for, to God, if you don't pay it, you're a fool. Pay it now. It's better that you should not vow than you should. Uh, that you should vow and not pay. Uh, so I'm going to give you some, let's see if I wrote it. Uh, notable thoughts on these two verses. Notable thoughts on these two verses. First of all, well, I didn't write them down. First of all, there are two kinds of people. Those who make all kinds of promises to God, and the moment something happens, they go back on their word and wonder why God doesn't use them. You hear what I'm saying? There's... Think of this. People make promises to God, and they say, well, can't keep that. I make a promise to God, can't keep that. Make a promise to God, and then God says, well, I guess I can't use that person. Then there are others who do not need to make shallow, foolish promises because they're people of their word. I don't need a promise. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. I found it as I get older, I just tell people I can do something or I can't. I just can't, you know, if somebody says, Why can't, can you do this? For? Nope, can't do it. Why? Just too busy. I can't do that. But if I do it, I'm there. And you better be there. If I say I'm going to do a 9.30 appointment, be there at 9.30. 9.35, you're using my time. That's how I feel, right? Because I'm a person on my board. I said 9.30, I'll be there. Unless I text you, call you, or die. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you, we all should be that way. Time is precious of yours and the other person. So if you make an appointment, be on time. It's not hard. 
I think there's a comedian that I used to watch once in a while. I met him years ago. His name was Gallagher. Anybody ever heard of Gallagher? He says, you don't want to be late for an appointment? Leave a light earlier. Let it sink in. You'll get it soon. Because people are always late because they're, they're rushing to get places and they set your time and you go, wow, he's right on time. You know, I was taught right on time is late. I know that sounds like a bunch of belly aching, but, it, but this is the paradigm that this is in. Numbers 21 says this in verses 2 and 3. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, into Israel's hand, then I will utterly destroy the city. So God said, you deliver, the Israel said, you, deli- you help deliver these people in our hands. We'll destroy them. Verse 2 says, the Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. Then they, were, uh, they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus the name of the places Hormah. So it's, it's interesting. Israel made a vow. God did his side. They did their side. This is a perfect contract. Don't, wouldn't you love everything to work out like this? Look at this one. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me on this journey that I will take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. Then I will return to my father's house in safety. Then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give uh, a tenth to you. Now, it's kind of interesting. It sounds like he's doing what? He's tithing to the local church, a tenth. How much of what Jacob had was God's? All of it. And Jacob knew that. He said, but the tenth will always be dedicated to you. For what? What would Jacob be dedicating of his stuff to God? His animals were what? Remember what Jacob raised? Sheep. Sacrifices. A tenth was always meant for the sacrificial system. Isn't that kind of cool? Um, How about this one? Everybody remember this one. Um, Hannah. Kind of discouraged in her life, wanted a son, and she made a vow and said to the Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look at the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, you will give your maidservant a son. That's not a 50 50 shot, but it's, you know, it's, I want a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a, and, and a razor shall never come to his head. So he would be a Levite. Hannah has a, a, a kid named what? Okay, it was a get, it was. Open book test. And Samuel became the leader of the school of prophets, and Samuel, for his entire life, was dedicated to the Lord. Okay? So what we get from this is a payment of what we owe now. Solomon the preacher strongly urged in Ecclesiastes 4 and 5 to do that. Failure to do so marks you as a fool. So what's the promise today? Where's the commitment from people today? How about politicians? How's the, how's the commitment of politicians today? Now, I will tell you something. If you want to have some fun, I don't know if it's on YouTube, but it should be. I haven't seen it. Where a politician made X amount of claims, and it turns around five or six years later and makes the opposite claims, or doesn't do anything. You'll get that ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. Welcome to the Democratic Party. I just wanted that on tape. So, Every party. I shouldn't say that. They're all like that. They all say things for campaigning purposes, right? We'll make the teachers richer. We'll make more policemen. We'll have, uh, more, they'll be richer. Uh, you, you know, we'll do everything we can to make society perfect. You'll all have health insurance. He doesn't tell you it'll cost you a fortune, but you can have it. Um, 
parents and kids, husbands and wives, all making shallow promises. The idea of sticking to our words is almost unheard of today. Not so in God's eyes, though. God says, you vow it, you keep it. Remember what we said last week? Sin is serious. There is no leeway. God's ideal says, don't do this. Be people of your word. Have the integrity needed. Uh, yet, listen, so we're going to stop with this statement. This is, this is fantastic. The Israelites in Jesus' time were taught and trained by the Pharisees on how to get out of keeping their vows. Now, I'm going to say something, and I'm not sure, and later Nathan will come up to me and chastise me. But I'm pretty sure the IRS laws are about this big, right? Pretty Or heftier? Oh, you get it on, on thumb drives and stuff now, right? It's all... Probably doesn't read them anymore. Just kidding. Like this, and I'm sure most of them are if you read them well, are all loopholes that you can get out of certain, certain taxes, right? I'm sure, right? There's loopholes in all sorts of laws. Do you know why they have certain things that go, happen in society? Like uh, murder and, and temporary insanity. How do they go together? Well, I'm going to say something. may not be politically correct, but if you murder somebody, you've got to have some kind of insanity going on, right? whether it's temporary or permanent, doesn't get you out of murder. You just did something that's, that God says is what? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. It should be dealt with with capital punishment. Well, you don't know what happened. Do you understand? God's ideal was this. Do not make vows that you do not keep. Keep the vows you make. And we're going to show next week, we'll finish with this, on how how how. To the point Jesus was in his teaching when we go through verses 34 through 37. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. And we're going to stand. When I'm done praying, we're going to stand and sing something. So just so the ladies can come up. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you again for this time as we've we've spent in your word dealing with uh, oaths and having a time of communion, Father. We're just so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for your son that he was lifted up on that cross for our sins. He made that payment, put in the grave for three days, rose again, and today we look forward to his soon coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. Eric, you got to shut the uh, telly off. Uh, we're going to stand and sing 602. It's not going to be up there. It's on a chorus sheet, it says. So we're going to stand. It's, it is, that's in the uh, hymn book, right? 602 in the blue books. I know they'll make a noise when you open them, but you can look at 602 in the blue, blue book.